Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrachmim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. We thank you, Lord, for this Shabbat, for this time that you have given us as an opportunity to gather together as mishpacha, uh, as family, united as one people in Yeruach HaKodesh, united by the blood of the Lamb to be able to worship you, to be able to lay our lives down as a living sacrifice before you. Father, I pray that as we open up your word today that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it will be your word heard and received, your voice that comes straight forward. Father, that it be your heart that we fill in this message and in these words that are going forth, that everything that is said comes directly from you, that nothing of me will be involved except for that which you have ordained specifically for this purpose. Father, I pray that you will open our hearts and our ears to receive from you today and that we will leave this place uh, dynamically changed and transformed for the good of your name and your glorious kingdom. B'Shem Yeshua In the name of Yeshua our Messiah we pray and everyone says, Amen. So this week we're in Parsha Pinchas uh, from Numbers 25, 10 through 30, uh, verse 1. If you've read through the Parsha, you'll notice that it kind of picks up at the end of last week's Parsha, right? We have the incident at Peor where the Midianite woman, Kozbi, is sent in, and uh, actually a bunch of Midianite women are sent into the camps of Israel in particular. Uh, Pinchas sees this lady, Kozbi, run into the Simeonite leader's tent, and they start doing what they're doing and he runs in with a spear and jams the spear directly through both of them and kills them both on the spot uh in case you're wondering awesome fight scenes would exist in the, the bible if they played a movie out of this awesome fight scenes would be there random rabbi rabbit trail but nonetheless uh we what we see here last week is this this uh act of uh zeal that comes forth from pinchas uh, and brings about this end of a plague to the nation of Israel because the, the nation of Israel had been experiencing a plague because of this sin. And this action brings it about. As a matter of fact, in this week's Parsha, we see something very interesting. And this is just a little free tidbit for you to take and run with. Uh, this comes free of charge. But uh, we hear a lot of times from the Jewish community, the, the traditional non-believing Jewish community, when we talk about Yeshua as our atonement, somebody will say something along the lines of, but... Nowhere in the Bible does it talk about a man being able to be atonement for another man. Uh, nowhere in the Bible does it say, can a man be sacrificed in atonement for somebody else? But instead, that it's always the blood of animals. And for the most part, that's entirely true. However, in this week's Parsha, in Parsha Pinchas, it specifically says that the covenant of the priesthood and the covenant of Shalom placed upon Pinchas, which uh, historically speaking, Pinchas was not one of the ones that was ordained or anointed uh, as a priest when Aaron and his sons were anointed. Pinchas was the grandson of Aaron. He was the son of Eleazar. He was not one of the ones anointed. The anointing went to uh, Aaron and to his four sons and to their sons that were born after the initial anointing, which is why in this part it specifically says, now the anointing of the priesthood is upon you and the covenant of Shalom is upon you and through your generations from here out. And so what we see here is that uh, this Parsha specifically says the reason this covenant and this anointing was placed upon Pinchas was because his action of killing uh, the Simeonite man and this woman of Midian, his action of killing them brought about atonement for the nation of Israel. So through the death of, in, of, of two humans came about atonement for the nation of Israel. 
So whenever somebody tells you as you're sharing Mashiach with them and they say, no man can be killed to provide atonement, go, what do you say about Parshmichas? Where it specifically says that the death of this man provided atonement for, so just a random little snidbit if you're, if you're out sharing the message with people, a little something you can use to uh, converse a little further. Um, but what I really want to talk about this week, what I really want to dive into is this idea of the next generation. But not just this idea of a next generation arising because, you know, we, we get old and we've got to move on and other people have to take over. But the idea of feeding this idea, this, this, this continuation of the Ruach HaKodesh, of the Holy Spirit, of the anointing of the mantle of the Holy Spirit into the next generation. So if you have your scriptures, go ahead and open up to Numbers chapter 27. We're going to begin with verse 12. Numbers chapter 27, verse 12. If you can do the math, we're kind of slap dab right in the middle of the Parsha. So Numbers uh, 27, verse 12 says, Then Adonai said to Moses, Go up to this mountain uh, of the Abarim uh, range and look at the land that I have given to B'nai Israel. When you have seen it, you will be gathered to your people, just as Aaron, your brother, was gathered. For in the wilderness of Zen, during the strife of the community, you both rebelled against my word instead of honoring me as a holy uh, as holy at the waters before their eyes. These are the, uh, were the waters of Mirbah uh, at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zen. Moses spoke to Adonai saying, May Adonai, God of, all, God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the community to go out and come in before them who will lead them out and bring them in, uh, who will lead them out and bring them in so that the people of Adonai will not be like sheep without a shepherd. So here is Moses. He's now realizing that he's kind of at the end of his life. This, again, as we said a couple of weeks ago, Israel is now standing at the shores of the Jordan River. Uh, what we see through the book of Deuteronomy is a reiteration of everything that uh, Israel has experienced through their wilderness journey. This is the second generation, the new generation of Israel who were not uh, uh, prone to having knowledge of being slaves in Egypt in the way that their forefathers did, that their majority of the last 40 years of their life, many of whom were born in the wilderness, was solely at the hand of the provision of the miraculous and divine provision of Adonai. They didn't know the, the provision of their slave masters. They didn't know the provision of Egypt for them to have food. All they knew were the miracles that God performed in the wilderness. And here Moses is. He's seeing that this first generation has now faded away. He knows that his days are drawing to an end. The Lord is now saying, I'm going to bring you up this mountain. You're going to be able to overlook the territory of the promised land, the land of Canaan. You will not be able to go into it yourself as I have told you before. And on this mountain you will die. And then he says, uh, and, and Moses then says, but look, okay, that's, I, I get it. That's on me. But please don't let the nation of Israel go on this journey alone. Please send a leader, a shepherd ahead of them to bring them into the, the next phase, to bring them in the promises of, of Adonai. And so he cries out for that. So in verse 18, Adonai said to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the Ruach. Notice it says, a man in whom is the Ruach. The Ruach is already upon him, right? He is not operating outside of his anointing, outside of his appointment, because Moses is still the shepherd. He's still the leader of Israel. He is still the anointed one that leads Israel, as we talked about uh, when we deal with David and Saul, right? David was anointed as king when he was a, a young boy, but he knew he couldn't take that role as king because Saul was still the anointed, and he had to operate in respect of the anointing that was upon Saul until the Lord removed Saul from that anointing. And we see the same thing here. Joshua already had the anointing of the Ruach upon him, but he was working under Moses as uh, an under-shepherd, if you would. 
and lay your hand on him. You will have him stand before Eleazar the Cohen and the entire assembly and commission him before their eyes. Give to him some of the authority, some of your authority, so that the whole community of Israel will, will obey him. So this transition, if you would, of the mantle of the authority of the Holy Spirit, the mantle of the authority of the Ruach HaKodesh that was upon Moses, a portion of it is being transferred upon Joshua to lead Israel into the promised land. And it's really interesting when we look at this and we compare and contrast it to Elijah and Elisha because with Elijah and Elisha, it wasn't a portion of the mantle. It was a double portion of the mantle that was transitioned from Elijah to Elisha. And as we said in our Ruach Encounter Bible study, that was a foreshadowing of what was going to happen when the uh, Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, was outpoured in Acts 2 because Yeshua said, through the comforter, through the Spirit that would come, we would be able to do even greater things than he did. And when we look at Elisha's life in comparison to Elijah's, he did even greater things than Elijah did. So here, unlike Elijah and Elisha, where a double portion of that mantle was transferred, a portion of the mantle was transferred from Moses to, uh, to Joshua for Joshua to be able to carry out the purpose of which he was anointed for. He will stand, verse 21, he will stand before Eleazar the Cohen. You will pray and obtain judgments for him by Urim and before Adonai. At his mouth they will go out, and at his mouth they will come in. He and all the community of Bnei Israel with him. Moses did as Adonai commanded him. He took Joshua, stood him before Eleazar the Cohen, and all the entire assembly. Then he, he laid hands on him and commissioned him just as Adonai had spoken by Moses' hand. Now often we get to this point, and we're trying to kind of pinpoint I know Joshua has been in this story for a long time where we've watched him kind of grow up, if you would, in ministry. We've watched him kind of make this journey under Moses. But when exactly did uh, Joshua kind of get into this whole bit? When was he brought in? And so when we go to chapter 17 of Exodus, Exodus chapter 17, it says, Then the Amalekites came and fought with Israel uh, at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose men, go out and fight the Amalekites tomorrow. I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And in this particular narrative in Exodus chapter 17, Moses uh, has now kind of had Joshua under his wing some. It's the first time we really read about Joshua. But Joshua has been under his wing some, and Moses is being told by the Lord, you're going to stand up on this mountain. Joshua is going to lead Israel into this battle, which is a foreshadowing of what Joshua's role is going to be in leading Israel into the promised land. And so we have Moses up on the mountain, which, by the way, is exactly what's about to happen, right? Moses is going to go up on a mountain, and Joshua is going to take the nation of Israel away from him into the promised land. So we have Moses up on the mountain. We have Aaron and Hur standing with him. Aaron and Hur are holding his arms up because as Moses holds his arms up in the air in worship before the Lord, uh, Joshua has victory over the enemies. And when his arms start to fall, Joshua gets pushed back and starts to lose. And so Aaron and Hur hold his arms up the entire fight. And Joshua and the forces of Israel are able to overtake the Amalekites and to win this battle, this victory. And it's really interesting to see how Joshua uh, operates and leads in this role. We move forward to Numbers chapter 14. This is uh, where we see about the spies who go into the promised land and they spy out the land. We just talked about this a few weeks ago. They spy out the land. Ten of them come back with an evil report. Two of them come back with a promising report. Uh, verse 5, this is after the evil report has been brought. Verse 5, then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the entire assembly uh, of the community of Bnei Israel. Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, uh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. They went into mourning in essence. They said to the whole assembly of Bnei Israel, the land of Israel, the land through which we passed is an exceptionally good land. If Adonai is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land and will give it to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. 
only do not rebel against Adonai and do not be afraid of the people of the land. They will be food for us. The protection of them is gone. Adonai is with us. Do not fear. Again, we see all of these foreshadowings in Joshua's life, right? We have uh, Joshua and Moses as kind of a foreshadowing of Elijah and Elisha. Elijah and Elisha with that double portion, even bigger foreshadowing was to come with Messiah and his disciples. We have this foreshadowing of Joshua in battle against the Amalekites and Moses up on the mountains. Joshua leads Israel in a battle. And now we have this foreshadowing uh, of, of, in essence, words that Joshua was kind of going to say to the nation of Israel later when he says uh, in verse 9, only do not rebel against Adonai and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They will be food for us. The protection over them is gone. Adonai is with us. Do not fear them. And when they go into, when he sends the two spies in the, the first little bit of Joshua into the promised land, uh, they go in and they're, they're talking with uh, uh, Rahab, the prostitute. And Rahab says, look, we are well aware that the Lord has already handed this over to you, that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has already handed the promised land, the land of Canaan, over to you. We are already deathly terrified and afraid of what is about to happen. We know we have lost. And what we see here is Joshua and Caleb use kind of the same words. The protection over them is gone. So for 40 years, Israel wandered in the wilderness for no reason at all. Because God had already removed the protection. God had already provided victory. When Israel left Egypt, victory in the promised land, victory in the land of Canaan was already available to them. All they had to do was go in and take it. But two years after they leave Egypt, they revolt against the promises of God. They revolt against what God has in store for them because they're afraid of the evil report that they hear of the land that they say, the, the, the spies with the evil report say very specifically, this is exactly how God said it would be. And Joshua and Caleb are the only ones that have the chutzpah enough, the courage enough to stand firm for God. And they say the protection of them is gone. Adonai is with us. Do not fear. This is actually a very uh, interesting statement to read from Joshua because it was just a few chapters before this in, in Numbers chapter 11 when uh, Moses cries out and says, this nation's too big, it's too much for me to handle, all their problems are ridiculous, Lord, can you do something about this? And he says, okay, I want you to bring forth 70 elders and these elders, I'm going to take a portion of the spirit that's upon you and place it upon them and they will help you judge the community. And when the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, is placed upon the 70 elders, anybody remember in Numbers 11 what happens? 70 elders begin to prophesy. Now 68 of them are at the tabernacle with Moses and Aaron, but two of them uh, are still out in the camps. Two of them are still in the camps of Israel. They, I guess their alarm clock went off late, I don't know, but they didn't quite make it to where they were supposed to be and the Spirit still fell on them. And what ends up happening is they begin to prophesy in the middle of the camps of Israel. And verse 28 of Numbers 11, Joshua the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, sent his youth, cried out and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. And he's crying out for Moses to stop them from prophesying, from operating in the Spirit because the people of Israel who have yet to experience the Spirit of God are afraid of what they're seeing and what they're hearing. Why are they afraid? Because this is still the first generation of Israel and the first generation of Israel was plagued with the propensity to sin over and over again, with the propensity to constantly turn their back on the Lord. And what is prophecy? Prophecy is the word of the Lord calling us to repentance, calling us to make teshuvah, calling us to return back to the Lord. So they begin to prophesy, calling Israel in return, and the nation begins to quiver in fear. And Joshua, who is the right hand of Moses, who's the one that ultimately is going to take over leadership of Israel, he himself is a little scared. And he runs to Moses, look, 
you got to make this stop. These guys are killing me. you got to make them stop. The people are scared. And verse 29, but Moses said to him, are you jealous on my behalf? If only Adonai would make all the people prophets. If only Adonai would put the Spirit on all of them. Reminds me of the words of Paul, who says, I wish that all would speak in tongues. I wish that all would prophesy. I wish that all would do these different things. But to some are given this, and to some are given this, and to some are given this. It's a powerful message that Joshua was hearing here. And I want you to, to, to follow along with me mentally for a moment as we look at where we're at in Numbers 27 and Parsha Pichas. And Joshua was taking over this leadership role in the nation of Israel. It wasn't just instantaneously Joshua showed up on the scene and the next day he's leading the nation of Israel. But it was 40 years of mentorship under Moses who operated in the spirit of God who constantly was on his face in intercession for the nation of Israel, who was speaking the word of the Lord that he was hearing to the nation of Israel, who was leading Israel in the direction that God was leading them over and over and over again. It took 40 years of mentorship under Moses before Joshua was ready and prepared as God saw fit for him to lead Israel. I believe just like with David and Saul, David was anointed as king long before he ever took over as king. I believe that Joshua was anointed as the next shepherd over Israel long before he ever took over. But it took 40 years of being mentored under, jo under Moses for him to be ready and prepared to operate in the anointing of the Ruach HaKodesh that this week's Parsha says was already on him. Moses laid his hands upon him and a transference of more of that anointing of the Ruach, more of that authority in the Ruach was placed upon the shoulders of Joshua. But it took this period of time for Joshua to learn and to move under him. And for those that are in this room that uh, are a little later in life, uh, a lot of times we don't, I saw heads pop up like I said something horrible. People, I didn't call you out by name. I can but uh, no, uh, <laughs> as we, <laughs> one person's head went up, only one, and she knows I'm messing with her. But, uh, <laughs> but as we, we, we look at uh, uh, those who are, are a little older in life that have spent years walking with the Lord, a lot of times when we see somebody, and this is very much true in ministry that we see this, when we see that the Lord has anointed somebody for a purpose to take over after us, one of two things happen. Either we get super excited because the days come where we get to go retire and move to Florida or something. Uh, and I don't mean like, you know, the panhandle. I mean real Florida, like down south. Um, we <laughs> we uh, the, the, the reality is, is that we, uh, we either get to this place where we're excited because all of a sudden everything's said and done and we get to move on with what the Lord has in store for us next we get clamped up and uptight and we start to grip the reins and the throat of the ministry a little more because we're too scared to hand it off because it's our baby we've done this for so long what's this person going to do to mess this up or how are they going to do that or how are they going to do this and, and we start to grab onto it like it's ours forgetting that it was the Lord's forgetting that the Lord assigned us an anointing for, and a perp at it for a purpose of time that he set us up to do what we were supposed to do until he's provided the next one with anointing and in that person were to feed into them and to build them up and to lead them in that role being mentored into what the Lord has in store and sometimes like Joshua that's 40 years of sitting under your shepherd above you and sometimes it's a few weeks or a few years but either way it goes we have to patiently await on the Lord a lot of times as we start to uh, as we're that 
that senior uh, uh, authority, if you would, and we're ready to start shepherding somebody up and ready to start mentoring them into their next phase of ministry. We either want to rush what we're supposed to do for them and teach them, or we want to hold them back as long as possible because we don't want to give up. And I want you to understand that having that mentality either direction can cause two major problems. One is if we rush what the Lord is trying to do and we just try to hand it off so that we can retire and move on, we're going to set somebody up for failure because they won't have the experience, the training, the knowledge, and the wisdom to be able to lead as the Lord wants them to lead. And what we see with Joshua and Moses is, is there's, there's this mentorship over a period of time where Joshua goes from being scared of what he's seeing the Spirit of God doing to operating in the Spirit of God himself. And there's a big period of time between Joshua in Numbers 11 saying, Moses, you've got to make them stop. They're scaring everybody. To Joshua in Joshua 24 saying, Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's a big gap of time to get there. There's a big gap of time between uh, Joshua standing at uh, fighting the Amalekites as Moses is up on the mountain with his hands raised and Joshua standing and Joshua 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 getting ready to go into battle and recognizing that the Lord is fighting for him and fighting the Amalekites was simply a matter of preparation spiritually and mentally for him to be ready for what the Lord has in store. So if we try to thrust somebody into that role so we can step out and walk away too fast, we're setting them up for failure. And not only that, but we are doing a phenomenal disjustice to the work that God has assigned us to do to the people the Lord has given us to build up and to shepherd, or if you're in the workplace that he's given you to, to build up and to lead so that they can be successful in their careers. And we set them up for failure, and ultimately, they either have to be on their face daily to learn what they should have learned from you, from the Lord divinely, or they crash and burn and everything falls around them. The other option is, that when the Lord gives us that, that understudy, if you would, that person that we're supposed to mentor and train up, we get excited because, hey, this is a new move of God. Something great's happening. And all of a sudden we realize, oh, wait, this is, this is really happening. But this is my baby. We clamp up and we grab down as tight as we can. And, and because we refuse to make that, that step towards transition, because we refuse to truly put the time and energy into mentoring this person the way we're supposed to so that they can be successful, we can end up choking the life out of our ministry and we can choke the life out of the calling that they have because ultimately they are going to become discouraged. They're going to become angry with you. They're going to become angry with the Lord. They're going to become angry with everyone around them because they know without a doubt that the Lord called them to do something, called them to be under this individual for this purpose only to have their dreams, their hopes, and everything else crushed around them because this person was too too scared to hand off the reins, knowing that God had something tremendous in store. Now, with that said, I don't want to just pick on uh, those of us that are in that senior role right now, and, and one day the time will come where I will have that opportunity to be able to bless somebody, and I'm not going to pretend that I'm going to have wisdom to hand off, but I can at least give some practical information to mentor somebody up as an associate rabbi and, and hopefully one day hand off a ministry, this ministry or whatever to them. Uh, but the reality is, is for, for those that are uh, of the younger variety, uh, those in the room that are teens that are whispering in the back instead of listening, pay attention. I see you. <laughs> 
for those of, of us of the younger, I'm trying to be inclusive. I, I included me and the we of older people and me and the we of younger people. So I'm kind of straddling both. Um, but for those of us of the younger persuasion, when we feel the call of the Lord, it is far too easy for us to become aggressive and wanting to push forward in what the Lord has in store. And it's far too easy for us to, instead of being like Joshua, who patiently waited for what God had in store, instead of being like Timothy or Luke, who patiently waited for what the Lord had in store, instead of being like David, who patiently waited for what the Lord had in store, we become like David's sons who tried to push Solomon out of the way and take the throne themselves. And we want to just push our way in and take over and we want to, to go gung-ho because we have this, this anointing, this calling, but we have a misguided means by which we want to chase it. It's important for us to understand, and I don't care if you're talking ministry or you're talking in the marketplace, and you've got to understand for 99% of those in the body of Messiah, your ministry is in the marketplace. All right? That great commission thing that Yeshua talks about in Matthew 28, it's not just to the rabbis and pastors and uh, to the worship leaders and youth leaders and to the, the missionaries and those in vocational mission, uh, vocational ministry. It's to all of those bought by the blood of the Lamb. It's to each and every one of us in this room. So I don't care if you're standing on stage in a church or a synagogue somewhere every single week or if you're standing behind the counter at McDonald's. Wherever it is that the Lord has you standing and ministering and working, that is your ministry. That is the place He has assigned you to speak forth His truth in love and in grace and in mercy. And for most in the body of Messiah, and I feel like a lot of times because we're so focused on vocational ministry, right? I often, my, my, my whole life, I've heard people, uh, especially in the Messianic Jewish movement, go, hey, you know, you're, you're 15, you're 16, you're 18, you're, 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 you're becoming an adult. What's your calling? What has the Lord called you to do? What are you, what are you gonna be? And, and somebody will go, oh, I feel God calling me into business. They're like, oh, you're not, you don't wanna be a rabbi? Do you not remember how you treat your rabbi? You think I want that? But no, I feel the Lord calling me into business. I feel the Lord calling me into sports. I feel the Lord calling me into this or that or the other. And because it's not vocational ministry, we start to look down on people. And we begin to discourage people from what the Lord is calling them to do. And so for those of the younger variety in the room, I want to encourage you. As you feel the Lord begin to uh, place a calling and anointing upon your life, for whatever it is that's in store for you. Don't rush it. Don't try to go gung-ho 90 or nothing into it. I'll tell you firsthand, it is a painful lesson to learn. Take that time to allow God to bring you into it slowly and to mentor you, uh, to put you under a mentor. I had the blessing personally and and, and part of the reason why this is such a huge thing on my heart in general is because my Torah Parsha is Deuteronomy 31, which is the actual point when, Mo, when Joshua takes over leadership of Israel, uh, when this next generation of Israel takes over leadership and leads them into the promises of God. My Haftorah from my Bar Mitzvah was Hosea 14, which is uh, where, where the Lord says, uh, here, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Um, and, and I believe in perfect faith that the Lord has called me, and not just me, but my generation in the Messianic Jewish movement to stand up and to lead our people into the promises of God through 
the reality of Messiah Yeshua, through a return to God in Messiah Yeshua. And so for me, seeing this next generation uh, arise, and there's a point where that next generation becomes the now generation, but seeing this next generation arise and to respond to whatever their calling is, whether it be in vocational ministry, in the marketplace, or wherever it may be, to see them rise up and, and, and chase that calling is a huge thing on my heart. And I've had the honor and the joy of working under numerous rabbis. I've worked under six different Messianic rabbis from uh, Alabama and Florida to New York and Georgia. I have worked hand-in-hand, side-by-side with rabbis from all over the country in various ways. I have seen both good and bad in ministry, both good and bad in spiritual mentorship. I have seen all of these things and a large reality of congregation, Mayim Chaim, and the way we do things and who we are as a community is from both the good and the bad that I've learned over the years. The good that I've learned to implement and the bad that I've learned to avoid because although I don't mind learning from my own mistakes I don't want to repeat my forefathers mistakes over and over and over again I would rather learn from their mistakes rather than making it myself and I want to encourage our younger people in the room that as you begin to step into your calling as you begin to seek the Lord for what it is he has assigned you and created you specifically to do because believe me he has created you for a very specific purpose Uh, We read this in our Torah Parsha today in Jeremiah chapter 1. For those that don't know, Jeremiah had the worst possible gig in the world. Jeremiah was raised to be a priest. All right? He was raised to be a priest. That was his family. That was his lineage. That was his inheritance. And the Lord called him out and said, hey, dude, I got a worse gig for you. You want to come do it? (laughs) Right? Because if you pay attention, his life really wasn't so grand after he answered the call. Right? I mean, he had, some, he had to lay on his side for a long time and you know, play around in some dung for a while and he had, you know, to write on a scroll and, and soak in water and eat it. I mean, it was all kinds of weird stuff that God had him do for the purpose of prophecy of calling the nation of Israel back to himself. But the reality is, is here in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4, this is a man who was born in the lineage and the inheritance of the priesthood that God has called for a different purpose. It says in verse 4 there, the word of Adonai came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. He's telling Jeremiah, you were born into a family. And that family has a calling in and of itself. But before you were born, before you were ever created in the womb, before ever spoke you into existence, I knew you. And I've called you and set you apart for a purpose. And each of us in this room, I don't care if you're 10 or if you're 70, each of us in this room have a purpose and a calling that we were created for and set apart from birth for, that we have the breath of life flowing through our lungs for, that we've been empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh for. And it's important that we walk in that. It's important that we take charge of that. I don't mean don't, don't take the reins from God and follow him, but we take ownership of it and we walk in that calling. But it's important for our younger people to understand that whatever that may be, it takes time to mature in it. It takes time to study under those who have walked this calling and this life out for years. Joshua spent 40 years under Moses. It took 40 years for him to learn at least enough to take them across the border. I'm pretty sure there was a lot of stuff Joshua encountered in his leadership of the nation of Israel that he really wished Moses had given some better instructions on. But the things that really mattered, he witnessed in Moses' life. 
like Moses constantly interceding on behalf of Israel, that no matter where Israel messed up, Moses was on his face before the Lord interceding on his behalf. But if you notice, when it was time for Moses to hand over the reins, and now we revert back to those of us of the older persuasion, when it was time for Moses to hand over the reins, he didn't fight. He didn't argue. He didn't bicker. He didn't get jealous. He didn't get angry. He didn't get greedy. He didn't get territorial. He handed it over. He said, the Lord has created you for a purpose. He has empowered you for a purpose. He's allowed me the honor of lifting you up into that purpose. And now I'm going to get out the way and let you do what God has created you for. And I think for most of us in this room, we can all look back in our lives and think back to people who have been great mentors, who have helped to bring us to where God has us and wants us to be now. And there have been those that we really wish that God had, that they had allowed God to use them a little more. There have been those that we know God used to hand something over to us and those that we wish that God had kicked out of the way so we could do what needed to be done. And in both cases, there were lessons to be learned and we are who we are now because of it. And so I want to speak to everyone in the room, everyone watching this. And I know this is not my normal kind of a message. But you've got to understand we're at a phase in the Messianic Jewish movement where there is a beginning of a transition. Our forefathers of the movement who were groundbreakers, who were pioneers, who have built this up to where we are now, are getting older. As much as many of them don't want to admit it, they are. And their bodies are beginning to fail little by little. And it's time for us as a movement to start to make that transition to the next generation. And we are, little by little, slowly by slowly, yours truly standing here as a symbol of that. Um, not saying like I do it great by any means, but I'm here doing what God has placed me here to do because of that reality. But in order for our movement to continue to move, notice we don't call ourselves a denomination. First and foremost, because the word denomination simply means divided from, Right? When you're doing math and you have a, a division problem, what's left, right, or what we're dividing out of it, rather, we call the denominator, right? So if you've got 14, you're dividing it by 7, that 7 is the denominator. You're separating out, you're dividing it off by 7. So we don't call ourselves a denomination, I believe, because the reality is that denominations are simply a very boastful way of being divided. And it's no harm, no foul, no complaint against denominations. It is what it is. We call ourselves a movement because we're supposed to be moving forward. I feel like for some time now, our movement has kind of stalled. We've, we've gotten stagnant. We've gotten comfortable where we are, just like Israel did in the wilderness. They got comfortable where they are. But it took that changing of the guard to bring Israel into the promised land. And we're at that phase where in order for us as a movement to see what God has in store next for us, we have to begin that process of transitioning, building people up, mentoring them to transition into the next phase of this movement so that we can keep moving forward, so that we can keep doing what the Lord has called and created this movement to do and restoring his people back into him through the blood atonement of Messiah Yeshua and restoring unity in the body of Messiah through its Jewish roots. And so I want to encourage you, if you're listening to this right now, to know that you have an important role to play in the body of Messiah. Whether you are 
of the older persuasion ready to hand things off or you're of the younger persuasion ready to rush into and take over. But be patient. Await the Lord and his timing as we see with Joshua, as we see with David, as we see with Timothy, as we see with Luke and so many others. Patiently await. I can tell you from my own experience there were times that I wish I had been more patient. And there were also times that I wish that those that were before me just got out of the way. But we have to be patient and wait on the Lord. But if we do, and if we allow Him to build us up as He wants to through those that He's placed over us as our mentors, we have the opportunity to lead our people into the promises of God, just as Joshua did. To see our people come and return to Messiah Yeshua. Return to the God of all creation, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that called us to cross over in the first place through the blood atonement of Messiah Yeshua. Not for our own sake, not for the sake of the Jewish people, but for the sake of the reality of all creation to experience the life from the dead that Paul talks about in Romans 11. Because this revival that we're all longing for, this end time revival that we're all waiting for, hinges upon the nation of Israel, the Jewish people coming to faith and Messiah. And that's what we're here for. We are a Messianic Jewish synagogue made up of Jews and non-Jews. And if we're honest about it, the Messianic Jewish movement probably doesn't present these numbers quite as honestly and often as we should. But the average Messianic synagogue, best case scenario, eh, 35%, give or take, of the congregation is actually Jewish. Most are a lot less than that. You know why? Or at least my opinion of why? Because that's what God wants it to be. Because the Jewish people, as we read all through Isaiah, were called out to be enlightened to the nations. My job as a Jewish believer is to reach the nations for Messiah. And Paul says that the nations were brought in to drive the Jew to jealousy for his God. If you're here and you're not Jewish, you were called into this to drive my people to jealousy for their God so that when they come to know their God through the blood atonement of Messiah, they can go back out and reach more of the nations so that more of the nations can drive more of my people to jealousy for their God. And this cycle continues and continues and continues. I honestly believe, and for a lot of people in our movement, these are going to be words that will probably get me in trouble. I honestly believe that a Messianic synagogue that is predominantly Jewish will not be successful in the call that God has brought us to be. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have a ton of Jews, but I wholeheartedly believe if you've got 100 Jews, you should probably have three, 400 Gentiles. I wholeheartedly believe if you've got 10 Jews, you should probably have 30, 40 Gentiles or more. Because it takes both to see the reality of God's word come true before our eyes. And the Messianic Jewish movement, just as the body of Messiah, just as the nation of Israel as a whole, has always been built on the back of Jew and Gentile one together. Joshua and Caleb, the two spies that brought a good report, the two that led Israel into the promised land, the second generation of leadership, the Jew and a non-Jew. Joshua was Jewish, Caleb wasn't. The Torah tells us Caleb was a Kenizzite. Kenizzites were one of the original inhabitants of the land of Canaan. Yet he became part of the nation of Israel and became a head of the tribe of Judah and is in the lineage of David and Yeshua. It has always been built on Jew and Gentile, one and Messiah. And I believe it's important that in a Messianic synagogue, that is the reality that rings true as well. 
And this is a part of why it is so important for generation after generation to raise up in our movement to proclaim the reality of the truth of God's word in a way that both the nations and Israel are blessed by the salvation and atonement of Yeshua Mashiach. And this is why it's so important that I believe that those of us in roles of authority are lifting up and mentoring those that are younger to take over roles of authority. As uh, my good friend that I have much respect for, Rabbi Jonathan Burnus often says, if you are in a role of leadership, you should be constantly working to work yourself out of a job. You should be constantly training people up to work yourself out of a job. Because that is the goal of the body of Messiah. That we build people up that they can continue the work of what God is doing faithfully beyond what our limitations allow for us to do. Amen. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reality that there is always a new generation ready to take over leadership not to snatch it out of the hands and the grip of those that have uh, laid the groundwork, but to pick up where they left off, to continue that work forward into the future, to continue the reality of your promises, of your blessing, of your truth, to continue the reality of the message of Messiah, the Besorah, the good news going forth to all nations, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile that many will come to know your saving grace, that many will experience the outpouring of your HaKodesh, that many will experience the health, the restoration, the renewal, the freedom and deliverance that can only be found in the truth of Messiah. Father, I pray that even here at Congregation Maim Chaim that you will begin to uh, raise up the next generation, that they will be ready to take the reins of the work that you were doing in the body of Messiah that they will be hungry and thirsty for the wisdom and the, the mentorship that is before them and that those of us who are able to mentor will be hungry and thirsty to continue to train and to build up those, those that you lay before us. Father, I thank you that your word gives us example after example of how to not only live our lives for you, but how to lift others up in living their lives for you so that many will come to know the truth of your saving grace. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen and Amen.